What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Sleep on the Haberman Middlecoff YouTube page. We got a couple uh, couple videos blowing up. New to the YouTube scene, blowing up. Blowing up. I mean, if you haven't checked out the YouTube, go do it. The uh, the Brandon IU breakdown. Big film guys over here. Uh, over 10,000 views as of recording, and Trent Williams is right behind him. Here's the key, guy. Audio and video still crush. The written word struggles. So the audio, I, I just, uh, I know, did you buy Ethan's book? Ethan I did, yeah, yeah. On I, iPad or the hard copy? Uh, iPad. I, I, actually, I bought the audio book and I just powered through a couple chapters. Really good. Is it Ethan reading the book? Ethan reading the book, yep. Well, shout out to Ethan because he DM'd me the other day. He said he's liking our videos. I, he did, me too. It was, uh, I, get, I gave him nineteen ninety nine. The audio book's a little more, what was the regular book, like fourteen ninety nine? Yeah, I think. I think so, yeah. But it's uh, it's Ethan reading the book. It's it's a good. I mean, it's it's very very entertaining. It's like a business book meets at least the first couple chapters meets basketball. My it's favorite awesome. part of the Ethan Sherwood Strauss book. God, there's there's some good stuff. But I think my I, favorite. I haven't made it far. Okay, I'm just on I, like the purchase of the Warriors. Yeah, that's with all the the Cohen stuff. Yeah, Cohan. But there's a great line from uh, is it Warren Warren Legary, longtime agent, big time agent. And he says, he's talking about the difference between Bob Myers and Rob Palinka. I, ha- I haven't got to that yet. Okay, so Palinka, he tells the story about how he would see Palinka on the phone. He's like, Palinka would talk one way with some people, and then he'd get on the phone with players and be, what's up, my dog? How you doing? How you living, man? 
It just it's like just the total just fake. It's just a scam. Yeah. Yeah. But Bob was the same with everybody. And Bob's just Bob. Yeah. So a good line also, in, I, a good a good line in there, the part I just listened to was like him going player by player. It was like, you know, they got Clay. A lot of people were unsure about his weed use, but then they got him and they realized, God, this guy is this guy has three loves in life. Basketball, this dog, and basically pussy. And the and Darren Ehrman was like he would have been a great sniper because he was so laser focused and he's unfazed by anything else. And then they got to Harrison Barnes, and he was like, you know, the irony about Harrison Barnes is, on paper, he's more talented and gifted and you know and stronger than Clay, and then definitely more than Draymond. But he's like, you know, we're watching him in practice one day, and I'm sitting next to Jerry West. I said, do you think he's a twenty million dollar player? And Jerry goes, well, look at that. His feet are all fucked up. His moves are slow. He said, "Before you're going to give him $20 million? And then Jerry looks at the elevator, and he just says in his uh, West Virginia twang, bye-bye. <laughs> you know? I was like, God. He's, he's got a lot of just like raw stuff from these guys just talking shit, which I like. Yep. Yeah, it was, it's good. So anyway, that's our Sherwood Strauss uh, bump. Supporting local, although that's national. <laughs> also supporting local, John, um, Kinder's. Kinders, which I think do they have two Walnut Creek locations? Yeah, they got in a couple. The Bay Area. Yeah, they got one in Parkside, and then they got Hercules. One, yeah, as well. All open till nine p.m. It'll call for your eating needs. If you're eating yep. local, follow them on Instagram. Uh, I, I get the grilled chicken barbecue sandwich, the bomb, the ribeye sandwich with a listener recommended with the jog sauce, jalapenos, onions, and garlic. Very, very good. Uh, and yeah, just they, they've been in business since 1946. Grandpa Kinders opened up his uh, first shop. Now they got 10 all over. They obviously have like the rubs and the uh, uh, sauces that you can find in stores. But definitely the the stores that f- cook food and have food, they have stuff to go. You know, we're big in, big believers in supporting our community. Yeah. Grandpa Kinder's been at it since uh, George Mikan's rookie year. And <laughs> I, uh, I don't think the three-point line was around, guy. No, it was not. Not around yet. Uh, and Evergood Sausages... Uh, and this is no matter, I mean, wherever you are, you're in Seattle or Denver or Portland, as long as you got a Safeway or a Target or a Smart and Final or a Costco, you can get yourself some Evergood sausages. Yeah, check them out. Check them out. There are Safeways where I go. I love the, uh, the pineapple sausage. They got great hot links. Costco, wherever you shop. Again, support local. I guess before we start the YouTube portion of this, because this is also going to be on, you can get the video of this podcast as you listen to the pod. Uh, this whole thing is if you want to see our faces, go, if you haven't yet, to the Haberman and Middlecoff YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe there. We got a ton of content there for everybody. We're just I mean, keeping it. We did a couple live shows out. during the draft. Yeah, we're just, we ain't stopping. No. So, all right. Um, this is the draft recap pod. A lot of stuff. And we had a lot of people hitting us up like, where's the podcast? Where's the podcast? Friday, Saturday, and I'll admit we were probably, we were all in on video content, so uh, hopefully we can catch a lot of the, uh, a lot of the stuff that uh, has happened the last few days. A lot's happened. I mean, God, I don't, what to you coming out of the draft, is it even, can you even narrow down well, I mean, like I your think- favorite moments of the, of the, you know, three, four days? Yeah, to me, the first round, which we can dive into it feels like a decade ago, not a decade, but it feels a long time ago. I just thought Saturday when Trent Williams was traded 
And then there was a lot of assumption that Joe Staley would retire. And I would say between lunch and dinner, his retirement letter came. Like it went from like being assumed what was going on to the trade happening. Like, God, are they going to make Joe Staley play guard? Like, what is McGlinchey going to move? What the fuck's going to happen? To him having, I, I, I thought, guy, in my time being around the NFL, just consuming this shit as a fan, I thought one of the more powerful retirement letters of, like, this was not an easy thing to do for a, a guy that's a legend in a franchise full of legends. Now, I, I don't know if Joe's a, I don't think he's probably a Hall of Famer, but just a guy that now has been part of two teams that made it to the Super Bowl, was part of the Harbaugh era, really probably their most consistent team captain over the last decade, a guy that you could have do anything, a member of the community. My mom once ran into him at Davis, him and Alex Smith on their way back from Tahoe, like you just don't meet any. To me, he's your mom you, recognized Joe Staley. Well, I think she she started talking. She recognized Alex Smith, oh. and Joe was there. And I think she quickly realized again. Joe's massive. Yeah, he just. I mean, he's just one of those. I, it, it hit me last night reading the letter. I I thought it was one of the better letters and just like more powerful, just very real. Kind of like remember when Luke Keekley did the video version of it? You're like, God, you just you feel for this guy. Like he does. They don't want to quit. And you See, read the that written letter. word's not dead. No, it's, well, not for Joe, but he had so much to say, probably didn't want to do a video. Um, it's not dead. You just have to subscribe for it on theathletic.com. And, uh, yeah, just Saturday was nuts. And yeah. usually I'm bored by Saturday, but Saturday's yeah. events, at least for you and I and people that talk about the Niners, just Trent Williams, one of the better players in the league that had been out of the league. I just didn't see that coming, guy. I, I didn't. No, it was it was awesome. Um the Kittle video was really good too. It kind of elevated Joe's value. I, I think if we if we're talking about Staley, like this guy played thirteen years. He made as many Pro Bowls as he had head coaches. He had six different head coaches, not counting when Tom Sula took over for Singletary. Just full time head coaches. This guy played for six. Remember, he was one and zero, the most successful coach at uh, Niner history. That's right, in NFL history, John. <laughs> in NFL history. They put the graphic up in his first game on Fox. It was like him above J- Bill Walsh, J- Jimmy Johnson, and Belichick. Yeah. Um, and a little Joe, bold. A little bold. Joe, Joe was. I didn't quite. I think we knew. You and I have talked about it that maybe maybe retirement was something he was contemplating. When you read what he wrote about how physically beat up he is, and you know his daughters, and just wanting to be. Yeah, that it would be selfish of him to try when his body was telling him this is not the time to go back out. I wonder, you know, what the timeline was in terms of talking it through with the 49ers because just the timing of not having it become public information until after they acquired Trent Williams was significant. But, um, yeah, man, I mean, they've got the Niners already have three numbers in the 70s retired. I do think he's a candidate. I mean, it's an organization that's had some great people, but I think given that so much of what he brought to the organization happened for the current owner in particular, like Jed York is aware of how people feel about how the people feel about Joe Staley. Yeah. So I do think he's a candidate. Like you said, he's not a hall of famer, but He's he was he was one of the rare things you could count on in an organization during a time. I mean, they had some high highs, but a time that was largely uh, unstable. You know, my comp is going to be 
this guy was how you could argue Brent Jones was a little better. Uh, I mean, he was a three. Brent Jones was a three-time All-Pro. Yeah, and cha- I mean, yeah, and champion, four-time Pro Bowler. The difference between what Brent Jones' career and Joe Staley's career is it was all good with Brent Jones, right? They always won. Yeah, I do think though similar humans where like Brent to that gen, like everyone. If you're Joe, you and I are Joe's age. But anyone older than Joe is just like, we just love Joe Staley. And I think Brent Jones, who was never Steve Young or Jerry Rice, just like Joe was never, even Patrick Willis, that picture of him getting drafted with Patrick Willis, no one, like Patrick Willis is probably a Hall of Famer. Like he was the best player at his position. Or at different moments in time with this team, like when they had Alden Hummon, or this year, like Kittle is the best player. Like no one views Joe quite like that, but he is on an approval rating like a politician that level. I think when you look at it football-wise, the Harbaugh four years, and I was thinking about this last night, the Harbaugh four years, the physicality, the violence, the intensity, definitely by that year two, three, and four of every game, it feel, it was like you play a season for the Patriots, that is not the same as playing a season for the Jaguars or, the, or like the Texans. Like It's just different. Everyone's coming for you. It's physical, but those Niners teams legitimately ran like power and used their offensive linemen. Yeah. I mean, it was just a very, very violent team, and it was a violent leak. I think that's like the equivalent of like six or seven seasons, and he could handle it. He didn't miss time. He could play through it. I thought 2019 for the Niners turned into a Harbaugh-like season. Very violent. And his body couldn't take – like his leg shattered. His fingers were shattered. He had some real – yeah, and I, I just traumatic, think, like physically traumatic. Injuries. And you, I just wonder, and who knows? I'm not a doctor, but if that if that guy that would have fallen on you know, newsflash had fallen on him like he did Joe's leg, I think it was the Bengal game when he got his leg shattered when the guy fell on him. I wonder, you know, in 2012, does that like is he able to move away or does that not break his leg? He's 36 years old, like the wear and tear on the tire, the equivalent of like a tire, what his body and his bones and the stresses. He knew, and when you read that article, you could just tell, like, I'm feeling pains now that I've never fucking felt. It's not like he, his position changed. It's not like he stopped going up against defensive ends and picking up blitzing linebacker. Like, he's been doing the same shit, as he said, since eight years old, but in the NFL level now for 13 years. And I just think you get to a point in time at, in physical positions where you just go, what I think he was scared of, and I don't blame him, I don't want to go off on an air cast. I don't want to get carted off because I can't walk off. Like one of the scenes in that Bengal game when he kind of limps off, like what did he just roll his ankle? Do you know what turned out? He had a broken leg. Like this guy is just, to me, when I think Joe Staley, I think he was never peak Jason Peters or he's not as talented as Trent Williams, but in a big fucking game, Packers on the road, whoever you're playing in January with 25 million people, like I, you wouldn't want – you feel as good about anybody having him as your left tackle. Like, he's yeah. just a he, – well, he's, he's like a Draymond Green, just a fucking warrior. Just – he's a franchise cornerstone. And franchise cornerstones don't have to be Hall of Famers. Mo- yeah, no. He's just a, just, a, just a winner. Yeah. Who also was a part of losers, but he who, was never a loser, right? Who maintained being a winner despite being on losers. Yeah. It, it also hit me, though, and I, I saw Kawakami tweeting about this. Like, to me, you get rid of Buckner, that those type players get replaced. It's another thing to have a guy that's been there forever. Mm-hmm. And 
not, I'm not saying divorce is not this guy, but every video you see about Joe is he's an uplifter. I think people in the NFL, when I talk to like executives, they use the word multiplier. It's just, you just, he brings people up. He's just so positive. Like they are missing that guy. And I, yeah. I think honestly, like the beginning of George Kittle's video, I was like, where's he going? Like, is he going to be funny about this? I think that's kind of on him now to be that uplifter, be the happy guy. And I think he kind of, you could see he was pretty rattled. And and if you think about it, like he lines up literally right next to him every play. Like they, they do kind of play a yin and yang to each other, just the nature of the positions, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought, we've talked about this. I thought they had one more year of it being, and you'll read this if in the Ethan Sherwood Strauss book, that just, time goes on you spend more time together you win it you get to the mountaintop and things just guys start making more money the roster turns over just things change so fast in sports year to you know two years later this like oh we're a family thing can just it can just things change people get you know players get older they get married they have kids you stop hanging out whatever i thought they had one more year before it would just start to feel a little different which doesn't doesn't mean worse doesn't mean you you can't win but before they'd have to really encounter that challenge of, okay, we're evolving. How do we maintain the, like the Warriors challenge is how do we keep joy as a centerpiece of our franchise as a lot of things happen around us that actually are not joyful things, just dramas and breakups, and just weird shit. The Niners haven't won anything though yet. No, no, no. They haven't won anything yet, but that's okay. Like I thought they had this one year, this year coming up for me, and I thought, I think, is really unique because they have the self-belief that comes from getting to a championship without the hangover of uh, having won it. And I think they didn't lose it in a way that I think they should be inspired by the fact that they were so close. I think that's what the 2029ers will look like. But it, it still had this feel of whole gangs back together. Even though, like you said, even though the yeah, forest oh, I, is gone. I, I, see, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. There was like to, just, me, to me, this, they have the right pure, amount of this turnover. This kind of purity, this purity to it, right? Of yeah. like, hey, this is everyone back at it again. But now that Staley's gone, you can still have that, but it's something, it's just, Trent Williams I, is a great player. Trent Williams is a better player. Who's never won dick. Think how inspired he is to try to win some playoff games, right? Well, Trent's like, I want to be here. Did you guys see? I know my agent says it's not true, but Rap Sheet says I killed the deal to the Vikings for with an extension. Well, that was the That's kind of the underrated part of that one, right? It's Schefter says... Because this deal happened, and you and I talked about this on Friday, right? We're like, well, would you send D Ford back? Do you have to send Goodwin? Like, how do you make the money work? We're just assuming you're going to extend Trent Williams if you trade for him. And then Schefter says he's going to play on the contract that he has. Which you, is- and I, you and I were either texting about this or talking about it on, on before we made the YouTube. Trent, my, my theory Which blew is, up, did I mention? Yeah. <laughs> uh, my theory is Trent Williams... Maybe it's as simple as he just wanted to play for Kyle and he realized they're really close to thinks he can yeah. win the Super Bowl. Yeah. But I do think you could justify that in a vacuum. Like, the Vikings have made the playoffs, what, like five of the last six years are really good. They've been like an offensive lineman away. But there is a curveball there where he goes, I've looked in that motherfucker's eyes in the huddle. I don't believe in him. And Cousins. I am not my big chance to leave here. I'm not going with Kirk Cousins. Even yeah. if I'm going to go from $12 million to they're immediately giving me an extension where I'm making 20 for the next three years. And you kind of just, I don't know if you, you didn't quite agree with that. You thought there was more to it, but. I- no, I think it's a legit theory. I, what, what I said was I, uh, I came to that conversation with a different theory. I think what you just said is totally legit though. 
It could very well be that. I, the thing I came to the conversation with was this guy just missed a year of professional football on principle, right? Like I'm just, and even, and a principle that even Ron Rivera, who is like really well respected and even, even Ron, even Ron couldn't mend that fence for Dan Snyder and Trent Williams. So I just wonder if this guy's like, look, on principle, I just sat out a season. And some people think I was willing to retire if I didn't go play where I wanted to play. I'm financially, I still have a lot of money to make, but I've made a lot of money. I'm only going to play where I want to play. And if I can't do it my way, I'm just not going to do it. And maybe the Vikings thing, maybe it doesn't hate anybody, but he's like, I just want to play for Kyle, man. That's where I want to go play. Yeah. And if I can't do that, like it, I, I'm, I said it to you in the context of like a professional career. Like, no, we're just going to do the way we're going to go out the way we want to go out. Right. Which was our discussion before our radio show ended. Like, we're just going to do it our way. And that's and that because we're okay with the alternative. Like, we're totally good with it. In fact, we welcome it. And um, and so that was my theory. I just wonder if if that. Well, I I actually think you've kind of convinced me he did not hold out last year because of money. He was one of the highest paid players at the time when his holdout kind of took place in the league. He did not hold out because they had actually been successful the year before for a short period of time for Alex. So like they, they had kind of felt like they had a little something going. I think he's strictly now thinking about it held out on principle. This is a shit organization. I can't fucking stand playing for these guys. I'm always getting lied to by Snyder's right hand guy, Bruce Allen. I don't b- trust any of you motherfuckers. I'm the highest level guy your franchise has had in the last two decades. And I, I'm constantly answering for everything. And this thing, I'd burn this motherfucker down. I think all you guys are incompetent. I can't take it anymore. I'm rich enough. I, I'm, I'm out. And I think sometimes when you sit a guy, like I'm out, like Le'Veon Bell held out for money. He did not hold out for principle. Right. He, didn't, he held out because he thought the Steelers deserved, he deserved a long-term extension. That's, that really wasn't this guy's argument now that you see he's not getting an extension. It was, I am too high level to be bring, brought down by you. If I'm going to hold out, if I got to hold out the rest of my life, I'll never come back. I'm, I'm, I've come to grips with that. Yeah. But I am not going to play for you guys anymore. And if I've gone that far, I'm not then going to let you dictate where I go. I'm in control, motherfuckers. And I think we saw this a little with Gronkowski. Like, Bill, you're not trading me to the Lions. I will retire. I, I can come to grips with that. I will retire. But you're not trading me to Fatty, the coach, and Bob Quinn, who's the biggest village idiot, like the worst organization. They're two best players in the history of the franchise. They're both retired at 30. I'm not doing it. Now, you could argue if they would have traded Gronk to like Seattle, he still might have turned him down. But you, you never know. But I, I would say probably. And I, you know, I, I actually, both these two moves, I respect Joe a lot. And the simple fact that I think he was terrified to end his career in an air cast in a terrible injury or just being in so much pain and being a terrible player. Like he could feel it. He could see it coming. He, he wasn't quite the same last year. And, and it was and, even bigger. Right. And, and just not, and that from a parent, like, well, that's like, what I'm saying. Then these children. pains, he can't, he's just in so much pain. He's like, it's not worth it. And then Trent on a much lower level, having you and I have done, like you do when, once you believe in something like it, it doesn't ever make sense once you believe that that person is not incompetent to then ever give in, 
You, you have to stay strong. There's difference, like, once you draw a line in the sand for, like, Joe Lacob doing a deal with someone, you got to be open-minded. But when it's just simple, you work for someone, and the thing in football, unlike most jobs where you can just quit or whatever, he can't really just quit and get a new job. Like, they do – he is kind of controlled by them. Mm-hmm. But that's – you know, as Don Draper would say, that's why they pay you all this money. He just took it into his own hands, and best-case scenario, now he's Kyle Shanahan's left tackle. So the Niners went from losing Joe Staley to getting Trent Williams. It's it's an incredible pivot. For a third and a fifth. For a third and a fifth. It, but again, it helped. They benefited. Like if Trent Williams was like, I'll just play wherever. I'm open for bidding. Right? He would have gone for like a next year's one. But he's right. just not. He, he, he played a huge role into why he's with the Niners. Yeah. You could say he played the biggest role why he's with the Niners, right? Because he would have been in Minnesota. Who I would guess maybe offering a second and a contract extension. There sometimes John common hate is really a unifying emotion, and you could argue in the NFL tier one haters of Dan Snyder, Kyle Shanahan, Trent Williams, like those two guys share a bond. Kyle took a shot not, at him this season, guy. Yeah, before they played a game. It's pretty crazy that Dan Snyder allowed him to do this. Because everything, I don't know that much about Dan. Yeah. I've read enough about him, though, to the and Riddick worked for him, just being in Philly, that division. Pettiness, to me, like Trump, Dolan, like he's up there. I wonder, I did, wonder did, if... Did Jack, or I mean, did Ron talk him? Just like, hey, let's just yeah. move on. See, I wonder if, it, if, if Ron Rivera was a third-year coach for Washington, if it would have been easier for Dan Snyder to kind of push him, not push him around, but just be like, we're not doing this. Does Dan kind of have, like... He kind of made Ron some promises about how much power Ron has, and he just kind of has to at least let it go for a year or two before he starts telling Ron what to do. I don't know. It'd be off to a bad start, right? Yeah, if he told Ron, no, you cannot trade this player. Maybe Trent's telling Dan Snyder that maybe their issue was 99% more with Bruce Allen, and he's just associated with it, and it's just, listen, out of principle, I'm not coming back here. I don't hate you as much as I hated this guy. Even though he's gone, like I got to go my separate ways. I wonder if maybe their relationship was not as crazy because it felt like Bruce Allen was definitely the number one guy for Trent. But that wouldn't explain why he has like, to be a 49er. You're just saying that's why Dan would would do that for him. Yeah, would allow him to go to the Niners. Maybe their relationship isn't as bad as like Kyle's, right? Because Kyle's Kyle's is twofold. It's personal. And it's business, right? It 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 kind of convolutes. It, it all comes into one. It's not just when you get fired, you just get fired. And it's it's business, but you might have business hate for him. Kyle was like, you treated my dad like shit. You treated right. me like shit. You right. fucked us. Where So it's, it's just deeper. It's not your typical, like, just on the surface level firing that goes wrong that at the end of the day in pro sports, you see all these guys at these conventions and combines anyway. No one even cares. But that one is like, it feels like the biggest hate. Like Al Davis used to have a lot of these, where it like somehow was personal and business and everything. Now it feels like this is the one of our last legit rivals of hatred. I enjoy from a firing. It. I do too. The problem is the Redskins don't really matter because they've been so shitty that people don't pay as much attention anymore. Well, and Kyle did a good job year. of just kind of shaking, you know, it off. Yeah, when they play this year, it'll be a huge. When, when, story. when Kyle throws a touchdown to Trent Williams against the Washington Redskins. 
I think it shows you as like if you're a Niner fan, for shitty as it was in some of the Jed low years and it in the Jed like years that went really bad and it was shitty. They never just like got rid of Patrick Willis. They never just like traded Joe Staley. You know, they never just got rid of like, like Trent Williams, the best player they've had in 20 plus years. And they just they they lost him. Like that's truly like there were levels of like the Niners had some low moments and were bad. But like the Jaguars consistently and the Redskins, like there are tears of like, God damn. Yeah. That is a train wreck, train wreck. That is a dumpster fire. You remember like the the, ja- uh, the Jaguars still have Yannick on the team. He was just tweeting at the owner, like, what do you they just drafted a defensive lineman in the first round? Like, what are they doing? Are they just gonna have to trade him in training camp for next year's second round picks? That's, that's to me, it happen. does make some sense for them to not have traded him for a pick in this year's draft since they're, I don't know that they're tanking per se, but I do think it makes some sense to just bump it back a year. Maybe that pick helps you move up if you have to to get a quarterback. It yeah. does make sense to me for them to get, but they didn't, you could, yeah, I would have. You, you could argue trade him for like, you know, once you get to camp, a one in 2021 and a two in 2022. Like, stagger it like that. Just a big-picture rebuild. Yeah. Um, One of the things I came out of the weekend with from a 49ers perspective, and we'll get to some Raiders stuff and ton of it, just all stuff, but I do think we have now... We've got three drafts on the Niners, and one of the things that's developing is their MO. Four. Bes- this was their fourth. Four, four drafts. One of the things that's developing is their MO, besides the fact that they like to trade back one spot, is just... And it's going to sound kind of cheesy, but it's compromise. And because there have been players that we know Kyle loved, like C, like CJ Beathard um, loves. There have been players that we know that Lynch loves, like Ruben. I think we've got to assume Kyle loves Brandon Ayuk. Um, they've done, they've made moves that I got to think there have been times where Parag says to those guys, hey, trust me, we can make this happen. Here's how we can go about doing it. I got to think at they've done so much stuff, John, that requires coordination that it makes me feel like one of the, the, the stamps of this organization so far when it comes to the draft is compromised because they've traded back one spot twice and both times that they've done it, the fourth round pick they've gotten back, they've used in that round to go get another player. Like when they did the Solomon Thomas deal, they used the fourth-round pick they got from the Bears to move to get Ruben Foster from 34 to 31 to get Ruben. And the fourth-rounder that they – so that was the Bears. Same thing again this year. That's a rough to, first round looking back. Yeah. But we can, we can kind of go through their evaluations. I don't think we can deny just kind of this, this pattern they have of coordinating things. I, I, maybe this isn't – maybe we can't assume that they had a better offer for the – Bears pick, and maybe we can't assume that they had a better offer for the pick they gave the Bucks this year. But I, I think it's reasonable to think that at least one of those two times they had a better offer given how little they moved back one well, spot. And so my, tell me if you think it's crazy, but my, my thinking being they also knew what player they want. Solomon, they wanted Javon Kinley. What player they wanted? Javon Kinlaw. And so I wonder if someone's saying the best value we can get for this pick is not if we move back one spot, but if we move back seven spots. And someone else says, agreed, but 
if we move back one spot, we can still get the player we want. Let's do both things. And there's just they're doing a lot of things where they're getting they're doing multiple things at once. And to me, that means you have to be compromising multiple people with as many chefs as they as they look to have. Um, and I'm, usually that's a bad thing. I think it's a good thing in their case because they're making it work. What Sorry, I think they have a good combination of right now, before we dive into that, before I give my thoughts on that, is that their understanding of value is pretty strong yeah. and understanding where they can get guys. And I think that's a combination of Kyle not being headstrong on, I got to have this guy. And I think you see that a lot of times in the NFL. I got to get this guy. No, you notice Belichick, trade the pick, do this. Now, he's not, while he's the greatest coach ever, and he's made a lot of great picks, I wouldn't call him the most the greatest universal drafter, but his understanding on value is elite. And he, cause he never gets caught up on one individual. Now he's been living pick, you know, 28 to 32 for a long period of time. So yeah. it's a, it's a little skewed where I think on the Niners with the, with the Trubisky pick, I don't think they had offers beside the bears. I think they played the bears. I think this, this week on Thursday night, they had opportunities to go back farther. This is where I think they were at the point where they loved Kinlaw. And this is where I give Kyle credit for being an offensive guy. He understands the defense comes first because he even said as much. His, his philosophy, now that we know it, is I can scheme guys up on offense. You can't over-scheme guys on defense without the talent. Right. You have to have the players. So, yeah, we could have gone. That was from, a great quote on Thursday. It was fucking incredible because you don't hear that from offensive guys very much. And, and, and when you do, you always know they're lying. Chip used to talk like that. Gruden talks like that sometimes. Well, John, and I like rugs, but I, I just know you don't believe that. And Kyle has lived it now. You know, when it comes to these defensive guys, I think where they struggled is Kinlaw would have been taken. I think the Falcons would have taken him. The Cowboys might have taken him. Like if they would have gone to 20 or 21, he would not have been there. And they just went, we just got rid of DeForest Buckner. We got to get this guy. And I started texting around on Kinlaw you know, just like kind of what his deal is because he's kind of a late riser. You know, this was a guy I would say this later half of the college football season and then in the offseason really kind of blew up is that when he got hurt in 2018, he had shoulder surgery, I think. Uh, my guy said he reshaped his body and mm. came back looking just like a monster and then had a huge season, goes to senior bowl combine and just takes off like a rocket. And the thing I got is he's a first round in any draft, first round player. When you're that big from the SEC with those type skills, like he was, to me, a blue chip is a combination of production and the physical attributes. He's just kind of a one-year producer, but like his physical attributes are blue. Like what the speed, the explosion, the strength, the just what he Blue possesses. being the, the best on the little Yeah, car. blue being like what Buckner kind of was. Now, Buckner was a much more finished product coming out of college, had been a four-year starter, right? like three-and-a-half-year starter, but played a shitload. That team was loaded, and he was just a can't-miss. Like, Kinlaw's not a can't-miss, but this is where I think arrogance is the wrong word. Their their belief in themselves at that position, it's going to work. Yeah. And uh, I, I give them credit for not really overthinking. They didn't get too – while they got, quote-unquote, cute, they didn't get that cute, right? They're like, we'll go back up a spot, but we're not going to try to go like – 18, 19 even, because we'll just, we'll end up with a guy we don't really want. Yeah. They they have a lot of finesse. They have a, 
They have a lot of fin- there was a subtlety that I think. Well, they're like they're like a they'd be like a uh, a basketball player that has like a pow- like a bunch of power moves, but also has soft touch around the rim. Like they they are not they are not just kind of just forcing things in, right? They have a plan and that they they do like looking smart. <laughs> like they got a warriors element to them. They love like damn, they've tr- they've been the only team in the last decade to trade back one spot twice. Right. Right, but they're not trying to overthink it to look super smart. They're doing it with a purpose. This year, to me, more than that Trubisky year, they did need that pick. They didn't have any more ammo. They would not have been able to get Brandon Ayuk, and I think they realized they knew that he wasn't going to be there. They knew, I guess, Ruggs had already gone, but they knew like CD was going to be long gone, Judy's going to be long gone. Fucking clearly, some teams in the Minnesota, Miami, Miami, right? But they had to be thinking right that Howie, Minnesota. And even if they knew Miami loved Ayuk, that those guys were going to take wide receivers, and they don't know what if the Ayuk's their favorite receiver. Right. As it turns out, how he wanted fast, little fast guys. How he wanted Haberman with speed. Good one. How about that deal? You know, a lot of people listen. I, I'm not a Goodwin guy, but like swapping 20 picks in the sixth round to just get a free player, what does it even matter? Yeah. Now, I would I would not have advised for it, but uh, you would have stood up in that meeting. No, I mean, you wouldn't have listened. They were dead set on the speed. I guess you couldn't have stood up and there wasn't a meeting to stand up in. Well, I, I, I would have said home. a couple things. Like, I, I would rather have – I might have to look more into Rieger, but I, I would rather have Ayuk. I would rather have Ayuk, John. Uh, if, you have, if you're listening to this podcast or if you're watching it and you haven't seen our Brandon Ayuk video, go do that. We love the pick. We like the pick a lot. Um, and I said it in the video, but I, I, I just to emphasize – this was not a guy that everybody thought would be better than Nikhil Harry. As you said, he only played two years of college ball because, I mean, ASU ball because he was a trans, JC transfer. But ASU people love him, and uh, they felt, felt he was coachable. And I wonder if there will be – the only Arizona State only had two guys drafted. But when they have prospects and they have recruited really well – the 49ers will get good intel on them because Herm and, and, and John Lynch are so close. Well, I, I would say, while I had heard a lot about Rieger, I didn't know that much about him. TCU, they hadn't been great the last couple years. To me, the four guys, you just knew a lot about, right? The three main guys, Judy and Ruggs, we had heard nonstop about. C.D. Lamb, Oklahoma has just become like, They've always been a huge program. It feels like they've become extra sexy with Lincoln. Is that fair? Mm-hmm. And just they've had Kyler and Baker the last couple of years. That you just I've seen a lot of CD Lamb. And then this year, Justin Jefferson just became a household name. He's playing for LSU. He's one of Joe Burrow's go-to guys. Like those guys were. If you if you follow just just subtly the NFL draft and college football, like those were. Four I would guys put Jefferson in the, in the category with those other three in terms of. Q rating. I, but I think I, I, I would agree, but I think this year as the season, LSU was always on and the motherfucker was always making plays. You just yeah. watched him make plays. And then it was like, he's, he's this guy's going to go in the draft. People just were, you know, uh, familiar. They just knew LSU had these wide receivers. I, I just think Brandon Ayuk, listen, I mean, I, people, a ton of people watching Arizona State games, probably not, you know, on, on the, compared to those schools. Now, I do think it helped, like, that he had Nikhil Harry, but they were never, unlike Judy and Ruggs or next year Devontae Smith and Waddle, it was like a tandem. It was never a tandem. It was like Nikhil by himself, 
And then this year it was just Ayuk by himself. But mm-hmm. it was like Arizona State wasn't, you know, some premium program yet. Herm helps I, probably a little bit. Herm helps for, from an NFL standpoint, but I'm saying like national I just mean attention. Fame. Like they've gotten attention because of Herm. I don't know that anyone extra knows Brandon Ayuk wouldn't you say? T- wouldn't you say T. Higgins was a more famous player than Hell, I think T. Higgins was more famous than Justin Jefferson. Yeah, he probably could. Probably fair. But, yeah. Definitely a couple of the top running backs, like Jonathan Taylor. Right. You know, J.K. Dobbins. J.K. Dobbins, for sure. Did I, did I see this stat right? The fewest running backs taken in the draft since 2010. Does Zach Moss get drafted? Yeah, by the Bills. It's a pretty good pick. Yeah. It's, it's round, one of those where like, was that? Like I think four? Fourth or fifth? I think that's one of those you're like, yep, fit. Yeah, you know, like you know Benjamin in the last two years had the running back at ASU. Had, uh, I want to say five, like 450 carries and like 80 catches and like 28 touchdowns. Well, how how's he failing? Like he to I, me, I just in that but, he's he's good in the cliffs. He's going to be a good NFL player. But Maybe I just good, he'll be an good might be strong. He's going to be an NFL player. Um, but I, I uh, Moss went in the third round actually. Uh, but I was just like God. I the rate at which running backs don't get drafted, don't get valued, and how quickly their careers end in the NFL. But it's not like they're not huge parts of college football. They are. Man, I I don't know if I would recommend it to somebody, but come in, like have that freshman year where you back somebody up, blow up as your, as your sophomore year when you have 220 carries, score 16 touchdowns. You know, had 16 touchdowns as a sophomore, running. I think he had 18 total touchdowns, and then take a year off, just shut it down. I wouldn't be opposed to either. I is there a chance? Like I like Eno more. I think as a pro prospect than Zach. Really good pass catcher, both Moss or Eno. Eno, Eno caught. That's one. what I'm. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Like, how, how is Eno's made for this spread offense NFL 2020? Now, Moss, the the scheme fit is good. So it's both to me. Both of them are just going to be good. I like them. Yeah. Um. By the way, since we're talking, not to keep Tyler Huntley to Baltimore, uh, J.K. Dobbins to Baltimore, I thought was. Was good. Well, remember this year when they were like fourteen, they were like uh, twelve and two or thirteen and two, and they were just trying to get to the playoffs. And Mark Ingram pulled his hamstring. Well, now it's like you got Ingram and this guy with yeah. Lamar. I saw the Honey Badger tweeted like, "What are they trying to do? Run for seven thousand yards next year? Like, what, is, what are they doing? Like, yeah, they are. That's a good fit. I to me, I love the two running back picks in the early in the second round. Jonathan Taylor to the Colts. And J.K. Dobbins to the Baltimore Ravens, like it is the it is the argument that you just you take running backs in the second round yeah. because there aren't just players there. There are real like Jonathan Taylor. If you told me that one of those two guys becomes a Hall of Famer, I could believe you. Like that's serious. You know, has like multiple All Pro seasons in the NFL. I just picture Jonathan Taylor on that fucking carpet. The last time I saw him play. I guess I, the bowl game he played, which I respect, which is he did because to your notion, why are you playing the bowl game, let alone the season? He had a sweet run against Ohio State early in the Big Twelve champ or Big Ten championship, where it's yeah. like you know Wisconsin's not as good as these guys. He breaks like three tackles and he takes the house. You're like, I bet Chris Ballard. I was thinking about it today. I bet he was there, right? 
why wouldn't you go to the Big Ten Championship at your you know fucking stadium? Yeah, you're right. Ohio State has all these blue chip guys. He's probably like, oh, we love. He probably already liked the guy. He's like, yeah, we're taking him. Washington had two guys skip the bowl game and not get drafted. I I wonder, but were they going to get drafted anyway? No. What I wonder turns out. I didn't realize at the time when the Niners got the 13th pick for DeForest Buckner, but, and maybe we, t- we talked about this on the live feed, maybe the podcast, can't even remember, it's all running together now. Did him knowing that he had two top 10 or 12 picks in the second round, Chris Ballard, it was a lot easier to pull the trigger on the DeForest Buckner pick when you're like, well, I'm going to get two, I'm going to get two players because I'm good at my job that are going to be better probably than 40% of the first round. Yeah, Pittman pick. Especially like when he knew what he needed. Like, I, I, I want to get a running back, and I'm going to get a wide receiver. It actually crystallizes, makes it a little more, okay, I, I get it. Right? I wonder if he even knew which receiver he kind of liked. Like, well, I, I think The guy I like, I can, get, I can get Michael Pittman Jr. top of the second round. Well, one thing the Colts do a good job of is they let their, their regional scouts talk about like when you get a player drafted from your region you do usually it's like live at the facility but they did a zoom call with the reporters and he said i know you guys aren't going to believe me but i went to a lot of usc practices this year i never saw him lose a rep he's like I- i'm not making this up every rep he won that wow. i watched wow. and i went to like three or four practices That's incredible insight yeah so it's just like you see because I sometimes, and I saw Greg Gabriel, he used to be the uh, mm-hmm. like college director, he's on Twitter, I worked with him for a year in Philly. This guy tweeted, he's like, it's crazy that all the, all the draft guys on Twitter, we know way more than the scouts. And he's like, what are you talking about? You guys know. <laughs> like the, the amount of information you have, now I'm not saying your all picks are going to be right or wrong, but the information that these teams have on these humans is... Long. I mean, it's it's a lot, and it's a lot of information that you can read. Bob McGinn's articles. You're only getting a small percentage. I, I promise you, you just are. Because most people, if you just if if you're like a draft Nick on Twitter, unless you're tied in with the league, you don't know anything about the character and the people, and that's really a huge reason why a lot of these guys are getting drafted. Like Michael Pittman is more valuable. Because, like, Michael Pittman's not good enough if he was a shithead. You know, he's not like Henry Ruggs. Like, if Henry Ruggs was like, you know, Henry Ruggs is a questionable guy. Henry Ruggs is going in the first round, right? Henry Ruggs was going. If Michael Pittman was a bat, instead of being a pr- elite character guy, a bad character guy, he'd go in, like, the fifth. And that's the type of stuff where I think sometimes when you see on Twitter, like, why is this guy still around? I don't know, because he's a shithead. <laughs> and every single team in the league knows that. Like, every guy, every mock draft, I noticed this yesterday. Every mock draft had that Josh Jones, the tackle from Houston. Yeah. Or maybe this was on Thursday, going in the first round. Guy, I saw a couple mock drafts had this guy like a fringe top 10 pick. And then all of a sudden I look up, it's like pick 100, and the I don't even know who took him, but he, he lasted the third round. I think he went like 72. But it's like there was a huge discrepancy because clearly the league's got some stuff on this guy that might not be pretty, Right. About whatever. I don't know what it is. But then I talked to... It could have been as simple as a meeting. The... the uh, You want to wait to talk about the, the draft and yeah, the, yeah, uh, yeah. the coverage of it? Let's talk, about, let's talk about Henry Ruggs and just the Raiders. Um, not just Ruggs, but three offensive players in the first three rounds. Three of their first four picks were receivers. Ruggs, 
uh, Lynn Bowden, Bowden Jr. Jr. Yeah, B- Bowden, Bowden, Bowden Jr. I think it's Bowden. It's Bobby Bowden and uh, uh, who's the baseball? Um, the former GM who does all the ESPN stuff for baseball. Oh yeah, yeah. I, it's uh, Jim Bowden. Bowden. Jim Bowden. Jim Bowden. Terry Bowden. Yeah. And which one's Lynn? I think it's Lynn Bowden. Junior Bowden, I, I don't know. Okay. He's, 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 he's cool. He's cool. He's a, he's a good player. So they go back to back picks. They went receivers. I we'll do it. We're gonna do a rugs video on YouTube. I like the pick, John. I know it's easy to do the. Oh, this is classic Al. Al wasn't wrong for liking fast guys. He was wrong for overreaching based on speed. But I don't know, man. I think he's a hell of a player. Just from what I've watched, I like yeah, the pick. Do you like yeah, the pick? I, yeah, he's. I mean, this guy's an elite talent. He's a he's a top twenty player in any draft. That that to me, I like doing stuff like that. Mm. Like, is this guy a top pick in any draft? Yeah. And I think the nine. I think Kinlaw and Rugs are going high in any draft. Maybe give or take a spot or two, right. but they are blue chippers. Like you're talking about a guy that's five eleven that runs that fast that's kicking the shit out of everyone at Alabama. And I think the knock sometimes is like, well, he only had, you know, 86, like less than 100 catches in his career. He had 46 catches last year. Well, he went, what I wrote right. down is 12 as a freshman. Yeah, 42. 46, 40. 46 is 18 and 40 as a junior. Yeah. Well, as a freshman on a team that also had a guy named Jerry Judy as a freshman, they also had this guy named Calvin Ridley Jr. who went in the first round. And I think a guy named O.J. Howard who went pretty high, too. Also a guy, they had this guy named Josh Jacobs they gave the ball to sometimes. I don't know if you've noticed. He's not bad. So it's just, he had 12 catches, but he had six touchdowns. That's a pretty good uh, catch-to-touchdown ratio. Yeah. And, and the last two years, being, you know, 46-40, what's that, average of 43 catches the last two years? Like, it's just, there weren't that many, you can't, you don't get two balls to play, that it just is what it is. I know this, when the ball was in his hands, he was operating at a different speed than everyone in the SEC. Uh, now, I think the question is, it's going to be, now, like to me, Rugs, while they were in the same draft, like R- Rieger, Justin Jefferson, Ayuk, like I, I'm not gonna ever compare him to that. Like th- to me, you're gonna you have the pick of the top three guys who are the consensus top three guys, and the Raiders chose to go yeah. with that guy. You're, and you're then saying look, if Justin Jefferson turns out to be the best receiver, I, that's I will not, not, that's not blame, as bad because everyone was taking one of these three guys first. I, I won't blame the Raiders for not taking Justin Jefferson there. Because yeah. it was clear you were going to take one of those three guys. They were the consensus top three guys, and they chose. Just like last year. You took Cleland over Josh Allen, who's he'll never be as good as Josh Allen. That's on you. This one, I'm just comparing him to those two guys. Or, you know, the other two. who they And they went, right? The market showed. One went 15 and one went 17. So they were all in the same little range. Uh, I got no problem taking him over Judy. I Sometimes, like, CeeDee Lambs do play in this league, right? The DeAndres, even when they're, like, worst case, they get, like, a crab tree. Like, it's it's going to be really hard for CD to fail. The, the, we've seen the Ruggs type player, right, just pure speed, have fail, just become yeah. like, ugh. So John it's, Ross. They, they, they become a little niche when they fail. Now, they can just become, like, Deshaun... Deshaun was never niche. He was just a really good receiver, right? Who could run, but he could do. He could have like a seven catch, hundred yard game. Yeah, and that's he, what I think Ruggs should be, Tyreek. But he's different, than Tyreek, right? He's he doesn't look like his like his uh, circular muscle bound. He, he like looks this. closer to Deshaun. Yeah, 
Yeah, I um, like a le- like a legger Odell. Odell's a little different, but I, I just mean like he could be an overall receiver. Is my point? Yeah, he could have. He should have games like eight, nine catches for 130 yards. I think one of the challenges with him, and it's not just we watch. We watched a lot of his tape. We watched a lot of Tua tape. Um, it's just the team is so good. Like he, of course, he has 40 catches. There's two other first rounders who are still on the team, potentially, right? I mean, Jalen Waddle, yeah. Devontae Smith, like, when you watch them, it's kind of hard because none of them are 6'3", right? Neither one of those guys is, like, super no, tall. No, I think they're actually all, like, 6'1 and under. That's so what makes like, the group what weird. what am I watching? You're like, which guy is that? You know, you there's like, and there's just three of them all lined up, and they just... Woo, woo, Can you imagine just, having, like, four Deshauns? It's like, it's like an Andy Reid wet dream. Watching them is so... <laughs> I will say this. The one thing that jumped out to me watching Alabama this year, Jerry Judy does. I don't know what PFF says about how many catchable balls he dropped. He just felt to me like he dropped some big balls. Um, Amari and Julio, I mean, that was, they dropped some balls too. So, I mean, I don't, it doesn't mean you can't be a star, but. Um, He'd say 24 touchdowns, guy, last two years, 24. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's where the balance is, right? Like, if you just put the production of the two players, Judy has them by a pretty wide margin. Judy is way more productive the last couple of years. This guy was more explosive. This guy was just different. And I think that's where the Raiders just, where, where I think, he separated himself as he was taking a lot and like slants and quick screens. It wasn't just deep bombs. And he, he had a lot of deep bombs, but it was other stuff that just he's willing to run across the middle. You know, it, it feels like the NFL is more likely to throw a flag than like the SEC going across the middle. Like sometimes I'm watching him like run across the middle. I'm like, damn, Henry, watch out. You know, these guys are all, it's a violent, it's just a violent league. I and did I, feel like they're, I'll, I'll give all those guys credit none of them feel intimidated by the SEC. And maybe it's like strength in numbers. They're like, yeah, we're going to fucking roll these dudes. Yeah. yeah. The whole four of them have some swag to them. I I, I, I actually kind of grew watching a little more of them. Like I was like, God, Tua slant. When Tua steps into a ball, his, he has a stronger arm than Burrow. His deep ball kind of floats, but is when he throws a strike, he has a stronger arm than Joe Burrow. When his feet are set and he just lets it rip. I, I do see what Dilford's saying. When Dilford's like, he makes all the, he can make the touch throws, he can make the deep ball throws, and he can strike like yeah. a 17 yard in. Like he has a better arm than Burrow. But he kind of, ha- he has to do a little more of a load up to make that. Well, throw. yeah, he's, he's got to, he needs a pocket and he needs to step in. Yeah. The yeah. one thing you notice, not the one thing, there's a lot to notice, but the pockets were big and the receivers were wide open. Now, part of the reason Ruggs is open, I think. And, you know, Kyle, a lot was discussed when Kyle said a few weeks ago, whatever, I mean, it's not novel, but he's like, yeah, receivers are hard to evaluate in college because they don't get a lot of man coverage. And then no one's getting jammed at the line of scrimmage by and large. But I do think one thing with Ruggs is that you are just, there. he makes some plays where he's got a big cushion, but part of the reason he has a cushion is because he's as fast as he is. Yeah. I, I would feel, I'll tell you, if, if I could take it from the other side, I'd feel a little better about this pick if I just thought, you know, Tyrell Williams was played a whole year healthy, didn't have a foot issue, and just I could chalk him up for 90, 80, you know, 78 to 95 catches. And just it, it wasn't going to be all Henry Ruggs. There, there's going to be a lot of tangible pressure on Derek to get this guy the ball because there are going to be moments when this guy's flying by guys, right? And if he either underthrows him, checks it down, like 
it has things to go viral written all over it. Like someone shows like Derek checking down at a big spot and Ruggs is wide open on a post and Gruden losing it, and but it doesn't come out till like Tuesday when the All-22 comes out. It's like, oh, I missed him three times. This will be, I think, and Derek just has become this guy, but now that he has this player that everyone kind of universally likes, I think will become a pretty just a situation to be monitored by national people. Because people will be taking sides, right? Yeah, because people want Ruggs to be good, and if he fails, they will blame Derek. Because you know what, Ruggs? He's succeeded at every five-star, goes to Bama, kicks the shit out of everybody. You know who else wants him to be good? Gruden. The guy that picked him above all the other guys. Yeah. The guy whose neck is really on the line as much as your neck can be on the line when you have seven years left on your contract. I saw Jerry McDonald tweet something like, you know, it's another year. They don't take a quarterback. What do you think it'll ever stop? And I tweeted back at him. It, it, as long as they keep going under 500 and not making the playoffs, it's never stopping. You don't get to not make the playoffs on Wait, huge wh- contracts. Sorry, which part? He's talking about talking about Derek. Just the conversation like, about Derek? Just the conversation. It's like, yeah. That's the natural conversation that happens in the sport because you're yeah. paid the most and you don't win. And it's not a win and loss stat. But as we know, good quarterbacks tend to win more than shitty quarterbacks. I think this year, now the the third round picks, I think it's fair to say, statistically, historically, you'd say one of them will make an impact to go along with Williams, Ruggs, Jacobs, Waller, right? So if one of those becomes like just a solid... Aguilar. Yeah, 50 catch, whoever. Yeah, Aguilar, just some of these guys, it's going to be hard for him to be like, they got to be good. And I also think what's going to be difficult is this division is good. The Chiefs yeah. are fucking stacked. The The Broncos added like seven offensive players. They're just going to be good. Oh, Hamler? Yeah, if the Chargers can just get if, – if the quarterback is just solid, they're going to be good. It's just going to be a difficult division. Like the Raiders could be better and have the same record. Because I had someone text me last night like looking at the Raiders' depth chart, they do have a legitimate NFL team now. Right, they're not like two years ago when it was a joke. Like they got an NFL team, and he's like, like you always, I hear you say, do they have enough mm, impact, dudes? It's definitely more on defense. Like offense, to me, they have enough. Like I, I've seen playoff coaches win with less on offense. Right, Derek's accomplished something. Like you can win yeah. with Derek. Yep. You can win with the offensive line. You can the running back, the tight end, these young receivers. To me, is there are they giving up? Do they go seven and nine because they have the bottom three scoring defense? And then it's Paul Gunther, Mayock, and Gruden's friend fired at the end of the year. Like that, to me, it's pretty clear to see where this goes. If they fail. If they're good, I could still see their defense being average, but their offense is much more explosive, right? right. They can win instead of losing that thirty to that game 30-20 to because all they can score is 20. This year, maybe they can score, win a game 32-30 to 30 or something Win the like games that. that require you to keep stacking up scoring drives. That, that, that they did back when they made the playoffs. Yeah, I think they can be pretty explosive. What do you think? Anything? I mean, the Damon Arnett. I don't know. We we talked about him on a video, but Malcolm uh, Butler is the name I hear. I hear uh, Rashad Breland, Chief Starting Corner. Like he can be a solid play. Is he ever going to be like, a star? No, but he it, can be a solid player. When the when the pick happened, you and I were. I think most people were like, wait, what? Um, but it seems like there's been enough positive feedback to counteract the negative feedback that. It's reasonable to think they got a starting cornerback here, a good starting cornerback here. It's which is what he has to be. I actually, I I talked about this. I think on the live feed, I watched a PFF Zoom with like their all the PFF guys, and Collinsworth was in the middle. It was just a good conversation. 
I actually respect Collinsworth. He does a lot of work. Like, he clearly watches all these guys. He has opinions on them. It's like, you know what? A lot of dudes in the media in Collinsworth's spot ain't fucking watching any film on anyone. Like, you can tell he's pretty passionate about football. Whatever you think about him as an analyst, I I like the guy. I I respect his work. Oh, I like him as an analyst, but... I do, too, but it feels like he's kind of polarizing. But my point was this, that one of their PFF guys is, like, anti-trading up for non-quarterbacks just because it's never worth... The, the likelihood of you hitting on any pick non-quarterback is not worth you giving up other, especially if it take, costs second and third round picks to move up four or five spots in the first round. You're better off just sitting there being patient. And if you get a player at that spot, at a major, at an impact position, whether it's tackle, whether it's wide receiver, or whether it's corner, you people act like you need to find DeAndre Hopkins or... Yeah, Richard Sherman. Right. You just need to find if you just get if that guy becomes Malcolm Butler, the Raiders, no one will ever. Do you know when they get shit on? Is when it's DJ Hayden or Gary on Conley. If that guy just becomes a starter, like part of the reason like Roseman was getting crushed for like Sidney Jones and all these guys because they can't. They're not starters. If you just find starters, you're in good shape. You just kind of like that's that's why Solomon. If Solomon Thomas had just become like. I don't even know. Just a saw, and that's what Cleveland Farrell. If they can just become Ray like, McDonald, just, yeah, in fact, become Ray McDonald. No one even talk about it. You know, he didn't become JJ Watt, but at least you got a solid starter that's yeah. going to be you're going to get for cheap. Isn't that kind of what we've been giving Chris Ballard credit for for a few years? Yeah, he's but he's great at it because he doesn't trade up and he just sits there and he takes high floor guys. He fills his team with DeForest Buckner's, and as long as his quarterback's not injured or shitty, they're going to automatically win nine games. And then if you're just in that realm, right, there's going to be a couple plays on your season where you could win 11 and win your division. Yeah, and you have a couple injuries. You might not have enough firepower to overcome it, but... But look at look at this year. They had a couple injuries to their quarterback and T.Y., and Marla, they were still Mar- like... Marlon Mack. Weren't they still pretty credible, even yeah. in the sh- being shitty? Like, yeah. I never thought, like, that team's a joke. Right. <laughs> you know? So, that to me, that is the key on David Arnett. It's just for him to just be a starter. If him and Mullins are just starters... With Jonathan Abram, you'd like one of them to be an impact guy, but if all three of them are just starters, I that's that's the whole point of the draft, just accumulate starters. And if you're just doing that, eventually you're going to land into a couple pro bowlers, right? Because if you're a starter and a 7-8 year starter on a team that's winning 7-9 to nine games, mm. guys are going to separate themselves and just become really good at their position just because they're smart, because they know how to play. Well, here's the newsflash. The NFL career is like two and a half, three years. Yeah. So if you play eight years, let alone eight years with one team, like you're a guy everybody knows. And when I say everybody knows, obviously that's not the goal. But if you're that guy, it means you're a really productive, really productive player for you. You just now he's probably I was going to say Carlos Rogers, but I mean, he was a pretty high draft pick and eventually became a nickel. And that's where he thrived. But you just just be a guy that all the fans who are fans of your team are just satisfied that you're one of their corners. Like, that's a pretty good standard, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's, that to me is the key, is just find Anderson Dejo. Yeah. <laughs> well, but but to me, he's you can then supplement and you find other guys and other, you know, guys off practice squads to fill the spots you miss. But when you're constantly missing on starters in the first and second round, that's what screws you. Like, ultimately, the most famous Seattle draft, I saw Bruce Irvin tweeted, whatever Richard Sherman's draft was, <clears throat> it was like, uh, we got a, we got like an F for this draft because Bruce Irvin was their first-round pick. 
And I think Bobby Wagner and Sherman, it, it was a pretty loaded draft. But their first-round pick, everyone's like, Bruce, well, Bruce Irvin's what, going to have a 12-year career? And he was like a five-year starter for the Seahawks. And the only reason they couldn't keep him was because they were paying all these other guys they hit on, like Wagner and Sherman and the year before and Cam Chancellor. So you just get five or six starters in in one draft every other year, you're in great shape and you get huge credit. So it was the 12 draft. They took Irvin with the first round pick, Bobby Wagner in the second, Russell Wilson in the third, Robert Turbin in the fourth, and I don't even add this. They got Jeremy Lane in the sixth. Starter. And J.R. Sweezy in the seventh. Was Richard in that draft? Or he was the year before? No, Richard was the year before. They took James Carpenter in the first, K.J. Wright in the fourth, Richard in the fifth, Malcolm Smith in the seventh, Byron Maxwell in the sixth. So he had, would you say John Schneider changed the Seattle, his, his, the, the career of him and Pete in two drafts, right? What, Those what two was, drafts. His, was, there, was their first year 11? Uh, no, their first year was 10. 10? All right, well, listen yeah. to the 10 draft. First rounder, Russell Okun. First rounder, Earl Thomas. Second rounder, Golden Tate. Fourth rounder, Walter Thurman. Fifth rounder, Cam Chancellor. So he he had one of the great three year drafts in history, right? Oh my god, yes. I mean that's how many of the names that's, you just listed. How many of those guys played for the Seattle Seahawks? Felt one, like all of them. Well, I mean those are one. How many starters is that? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen starters in three years. Well, think about the positions, right? And not starters, quarterback out starters slash Pro Bowlers. <laughs> I mean, a couple Hall of Famers, three Hall of Famers. Richard's a Hall of Famer. Is Earl a Hall of Famer? Is, I mean, that's a good question. That's inc- I mean, Bobby Wagner is going to end up like a 10-time Pro Bowler. Yeah. That's a hell of a stretch. How do you live up to that? It's like it's like, uh, it's like an artist. You, you make a hit record. It's hard to, no wonder he just takes a lot of heat. Yeah. Then, then, then uh, 13, uh, Christian Michael? I can never remember how to pronounce the yeah, first name. Yeah, Christine, yeah. Uh, Luke Wilson, Spencer Ware. Next year, Paul Richards. That, here's a stretch of years with no first rounder for three years. Uh, Paul Richardson, Justin Britt, Cassius Marsh, Kevin Norwood. I, I, I just think... Frank Clark, you, Tyler Lockett. In basketball and in football, when you start winning and going to NFC Championships and Super Bowls and NBA Finals, you just draft to the end of the round. And that end-of-the-round pick, to me, and we've talked about it before, yeah, first-rounders are 50-50, but to me, pick 25-32 to 32 is not a 50-50 proposition. It's lower than that. But it carries, like, this guy was a first-rounder. So, you know, you have Paul Richardson. Well, he was an early second, because whenever they start trading first-rounders. Yeah. But, like, you have, like, why did they hit on... Uh, even like Bruce Irvin or Russell Okun. Well, it was pick six and 14, Earl Th- Okun and Earl yeah. Thomas. They're not fucking pick 28. Like, oh, they hit on Patrick Willis. Well, yeah, he went pick 11, you know? It's like, oh, they got Vernon Davis. Yeah, he went pick five. That's what was, I, I feel, Raider fans for like 20 years, they were missing on guys all over, right? High, low, they had that stretch without Davis. It's difficult. It, it, it's difficult. Yeah. What's a good problem to have? You'd rather take your shots in the 20s because that means your team's winning. So, you want to get into a bunch of NFL stuff now? Other... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess we already have. But one thing I was thinking about Sunday morning was 
was the guy that told Rap Sheet that everyone's mock drafts were going to be super wrong this year wrong? I would say it feels like he was pretty wrong because I would yeah. didn't said, feel like of the 32 first-round picks, I'd felt pretty comfortable hearing names of 26, 27 of them. I mean, our net was like, oh, okay. I think he was universally the biggest shock of the group. Yeah. Even like, oh, the how he took Jalen Rieger. Well, everyone thought Jalen Rieger was going to go in the 20s. They just thought he was going to take a different player. Or Brandon Ayuk. I still think Brandon Ayuk was viewed as like a fringe first rounder. He was, right? yeah, yeah. The linebackers, Queen, Kenneth Murray, uh, Jordan Love, all the tackles, all the top wide receivers, all the sweet, yeah. Tua ends up going to the Dolphins and Herbert ends up going to the Chargers. Yeah. It was shocking where Jordan Love went. It wasn't shocking that he went in the first round. Right. Yeah. Um, I think there was one guy, the Seattle, took a linebacker from Texas Tech. Jordan I Brooks. Hadn't, yeah. I hadn't heard his name that much, but. No, you're right. I mean, I would say all the linemen that everyone was talking about went. Akuda went the, third. Isaiah Simmons ended up just going eighth. Yeah, who was the SC? What's the SC's tackle's name? Is Austin Jackson? Austin Jackson, yeah. He was a name that everyone thought was going to go in the twenties, went eighteen, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I thought he might be late second, but I mean early second. But it was just a function of just all the guys were going. You got to draft them. Yeah, if you want one. Um. Yeah, let's go back and forth on just draft, uh, draft takes uh, and observations. Uh, you said you had a take on the, uh, on the negativity surrounding the broadcast for the individual players. Oh, death, drugs, and sadness in every bio? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's just Netflix. I think everyone wants uh, wants murder. Yeah. Um, so, well, let, let's before I give you my take, did you – did it bother you? Did you feel like it was more than usual where every player's bio was like – there was a guy who – mom overcame drugs, was addicted to drugs for 19 years, and then there was get, accused of – uh, sexual assault against two women, acquitted of sexual assault and put back on the team. Father murdered, uh, uncle dead, grandpa, like a lot of that. Where, where, where I noticed it, I felt like more than ever before, is that it was not led by DJ or Lewis or Mel bringing up, hey, they got some character issues, this is why they went. It was Trey kind of opened up the... The file on the kid, and then went to them. That's and it was where, always on the bio, right? It was like it was. I think people were noticing the graphic. It'd be like the okay, third yeah, thing, the, like the graphic addicted it, to drugs. Yeah, and then Trey would hammer it home, like this guy got caught with a, you know, uh, you know, three joints and had a Mad Dog twenty twenty, you know, and got suspended for seven games. Or this yeah. guy, I, I really noticed it. The Chiefs, their second round linebacker, had been suspended. Because at Mississippi State, a bunch of student aid teachers took tests for like 10 football players. He was one of the guys suspended. Then at the bowl game, he got into a fight with his quarterback, hit him in the face. And he kind of opened up with that. Like, this guy's been suspended twice, got into a fight, some academic probation. I was like, damn. And then I tied a text around. I was like, well, actually, you know, everyone was getting their test taken for him. And I, you'd, be, you'd be naive to think a lot of people in the first round went to class. And two, the story about the quarterback, the fight, actually the quarterback hit him first. Because then DJ kind of came back and like, yeah, it's not really the story I heard. There was just a lot of that going on. I, I I don't know. My memory is not great. I don't like it doesn't feel like that was a major part of most drafts I've watched, but so, I, I could be wrong. 
Well, I do think there. I think the reaction, like, there's a difference between this guy is falling because he's a character concern and the yeah, three that, bullets. Yeah, that's that's happened a lot. Yeah, right. But the three bullets on the bio being mom one, drug loves addict. cheeseburgers. Two draws his own tattoos. Three mom was addicted to drugs for 19 years. So I don't. I'm with you. I, I don't have a great sense for whether that was more than usual, but I don't remember it happening as much as it happened. So my take on it is is that I think any sport benefits from people finding the humanity in the athlete, knowing who they are, knowing their personal stories, knowing the anguish. It's why when you watch like E60 and all these magazine shows, it's rarely like, Dude was born in a two-parent household. They were always financially well-off, went to a pretty good college, got a bunch of scholarship offers, had a bunch of options, never got hurt, got drafted in the first round. Like, you just don't yeah. see that. D- Dad was a member of three country clubs. He always had money. Yeah, just just parents rarely argued. And when they did, they went to the healthy therapy session. <laughs> um, because that's just not, like, there aren't movies made about that. There, those aren't the stories that you tell. Those aren't the stories that people attach to. People attach to these stories of overcoming adversity. And so I struggle with it because I do understand why they do it. And there's a couple reasons. There's three reasons, really, you do it, right? One, to just establish who this person is. I think as it relates to the moment, I'm a little uncomfortable on one hand with this person's moment is largely one of the major factors in this moment is that thing that happened to them that's terrible, right? Well, is, is there a difference between overcoming being homeless and, like, drugs and arrests? Like, wh- where is the line? Because it feels like that gets celebrated. But when drugs or, you know, his mom was a prostitute or his dad's in prison, so, it starts feeling a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Or, 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 like, this guy's been in a lot of trouble. The kid has been in trouble. But to me, there there is a line between what's something that would make you not draft this per, this player and because like because like homelessness story. is celebrated, right? This guy overcame fucking homelessness. Yeah, but but I would say I think people would argue does that need to be the third bullet? Now I would say well, I don't know. That's yeah, why I, I don't either. I, look, I'll, I'll go. I'll take a step back because I asked somebody this this year. Um, I'm unfazed by it, but I I, so, I I talk about it all the time, so I I, I am the wrong person to so, ask. But but. Uh, LaVisca Chanel has long hair. He hasn't cut his hair since his dad was killed when he was 13 years old. Does that need, is every broad, every national TV game, the Jaguars play, are they going to tell that story in every broadcast? Because I know I called a couple of his games. He played three years at Colorado. It's not like you just do it in his first game and then everybody knows the story and you move on. But to me, I was always a little uncomfortable with like every game. It's like, oh, LaVisca, what a story. His hair's long because his dad died. Like, does that have to be part of him every time we talk about him? And I don't think there's a clear answer to that because the person I asked, I was like, I'm just uncomfortable with this. They're like, well, his hair is long to honor his dad. So if you watch him and you notice his long hair, like that's something that he is showing you, right? That's part of the story that he's telling. Um, The other part of it is like, if you're watching a player who's really emotional, somebody's crying, and then it says, like, you know, lost his dad three years ago. Like, that might explain why what's happening on your screen is happening in a tidy way. So I don't think I'm, I am, for, it's probably obvious, I am not one that's crushing ESPN for it because I get why they do it. 
I don't think they're being dis. I don't think they're trying to like uh, take advantage of a situation. I think they're trying to explain to you it's journalism. Like, why is what you're seeing happening? <clears throat> but I also think there's a fine line because I'm. I do get the other side, which is like, it's their moment. It's, it's their, their night. moment. Does this have to be part of that moment? Um, but I, 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 I do I, think at the bottom line, I think they're trying to establish here are the stories of the people that are here, and if if you can do that in the right way then you do broaden your audience, right? Because all of a sudden, someone who like, doesn't care about the three technique is like, oh my God, that's the kid whose dad died. Like, wow. Well, I, what, I, what I guess was happening, I didn't watch this, but on ABC, they were over the top about it, and Tom Rinaldi was a big part of their broadcast, and they played it like, like you said, the E60 segment. Well, what does anyone that gets up early on the West Coast, there are, there's basically a Rinaldi E60 segment on every college game day, right? And well, it's, it's, it's never about, you know, John Middlecoff, you know what he comes from? Two-parent household. Both had jobs. Upper middle class. Never had many issues. Got yeah. yelled at sometimes because His he showed up His parents had a real late. good marriage. Yeah. Like fucking... Uh, you know, they, they, they taught him to read when he was Clarence young. His parents had a real good marriage. He uh, went to Pembroke. I, That's a private <laughs> school. <laughs> exactly. I, I, but why do they do that, John? For ABC, right? We talked about this. ABC's viewership the, last year the, was 50% was female. female. That is not... That, that is... Pri- for the most part in the NFL, that's not their heart. That is what they're trying to expand towards. If you told me that a kid or his friends or family were mad at an individual I, I, and like the way they were portrayed, I would understand it. Yeah. If you tell me a, a, a fan of a team is mad at it, I would understand it. Where I became a little uncomfortable yesterday or over the weekend, I saw a lot of media members jumping in, and it's like, well, you are just lined up to Saying tell what? this story. If just like, this is over the top, this is over the top. Like and some of my colleagues at the Athletic, I, it's weird. Colleagues, like I fucking write one article every other month. Just the people at the Athletic, like, hey, a, a large portion of this information that's it's all public is because you guys signed Bob McGinn, and you can't wait, can't fucking wait to write this story. I have a problem with the media getting mad at it because I know they want to write the story, and then we'll read it. And it's a good story because you know what? Like you said, the good stories are Javon Kinlaw's story. Josh Jacobs last year's story. You know what story does not move the needle? Like the way uh, Herbert probably grew up. Probably pretty boring. Eugene, no issues. Pretty normal. Smart family. Just fucking never been in trouble. Like it's, it's not moving the needle. But like uh, some of these, some of the Kinlaw story does. And he's openly talked about it. Well, and see that maybe that's a big factor too, right? Is I, this I, a story I, I, I didn't like the, the, the athletic writers and I saw a lot of them getting mad. Well, they are specifically going to try to write that story for whoever in their draft class right over the next couple months. Yeah, well, there's no doubt about that. You're absolutely right about that. I, I do think there's still a fair conversation to be had. Like, should that be the first thing? Which is which is where I stand. I don't know the right answer. I, don't I was not uncomfortable by it, but I also talk in that lingo. And I just know, and I read. But the other thing is, guy, is I would understand if Trey's saying a lot of stuff that's just not out there. All this stuff's public information. Like, it's... Yeah, I, I think that at the core of and the, the people and that a have lot of these guys are it, pretty famous. I think the core of the issue is for people to have a problem is like the like guy Haberman's drafted. Boom, let's put him on the screen. Oh, this is amazing. Oh, I see myself on TV. Oh, the first thing it says is my mom battled drug addiction. So I get it. I do get it. But like in Kinlaw's case, who's talked openly about it, it's part of the story. It's part of what makes his story great. It's part of what makes him him. I don't think you can hide from that it, stuff. You either. you would say there's a big difference between 
mom's a drug addict, homeless type stuff, anything just with the family, then like this guy was kicked out of school or this guy has been arrested, like stuff that has happened to the individual. Yeah, that's, that's part that's, of the story. That's even more pertinent in one kind of way. Big time. To but me, that has like to that, be But to me, about. that's the Bob McGinn stuff, right? That's yeah, not like this guy was academically stuff. suspended for a year. This guy beat up his quarterback, that type of stuff, more than the stuff like you could argue, why do we need to be talking about this guy's mom drug addiction? Yeah, and I think night. the basic answer is we don't need to be, but the sport is served. It's You're kind of using them in that way, but the, you get people are getting to know them, and it benefits them in the long run if people know them, identify with them. Gives them a platform. Gives them a it, I, like all that stuff can be used as a positive for them. Um, I you know it's you don't know does his mom talk about the story and say this is I'm, this is what I did to recover and this is why it's amazing that my son did this or is she embarrassed by that like that's all stuff I don't know but I'd imagine if the player talks about it openly then that opens the door for all of this to be Lavisca Chenault talks about his father his mo- I, well I should his mom. And his brother did a video. I think they did a feature. I don't know if he talked about it as much, but it's it's part of his story. It's yeah. part of. I get a little. I'll just use that example specifically because I I've, I've done his games and I kind of dealt with it. Like, all right, you're saying you're saying it always comes up. It always comes up, which it's a big part of his life. I'm sure it he's never he's him. never trimmed his head. He's never his hair. He's grown his hair since it's like 13 or whatever. Right. Never cut it. Yeah, I don't think he. I don't know exactly if it's ever been trimmed or what the ma- total maintenance operation is but that's why he has it yeah so and i think as time goes on he five years in the league after five it won't be mentioned all the time you know three years in the league i don't know i yeah it's, to me it's tough. certain it's tough but i don't i'm not just... i get why they do it and i'm not in the end i'm okay i'm okay it did make sometimes i felt a little uncomfortable but i get it and i don't think it's uh this is, it, this, is, it is it is part it, of journalism. It, 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 it is part of journalism. Like when I read this, um, I read a, a obituary for the, a former president of Stanford University. I don't know how I came across it. He, he died recently, like eighty nine years old. Searching the papers. I know I was on Twitter, and like revered. One part of his obituary involved a scandal where Stanford in the early nineties or late eighties. The, the federal government said they were overcharging them for things that they were doing, federal refunds and all this stuff. Ultimately, he resigned because of it. And he even said, like, I just get the, the person who is the face of the solution can't have been the person who was the face of the problem. I'm the face of this university. I'm stepping down. But it wasn't something that, like, I didn't get the sense it, over, it, it, it was something that, like, he carried with him for the rest of his life. He just continued on. Um, and did a bunch of other stuff and was still really impactful. But it was like pretty high in his obituary. And I would imagine on his list, I, if I was his family, I'd be like, I don't know, is this, should this be in the first 15 paragraphs of his obituary? Like he well, they, they wrote stuff. it. The family wrote it, right? No, it wasn't what it was like. He's a, you know, he's a public figure. So it was a, it was a, a oh, news story okay. about it. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, um, here's one thing I think we lose sight of with all this. But it was just part of his history, is my point. Yeah, I mean, and then, this, you, this and then we get to judge what it meant. This is all a television show. This yeah. is not Little League. This is not even college anymore, which is a television show, too. This is for Boo Boo Bucks. And now you start making them. Like, this is, we know your life. This is part of the deal. And the, the, that's back to the journalists. They get mad at it. You can't wait to write the story because those are the best stories. And those are the stories that we read are the juicy ones. I would have, <laughs> yeah, I, 
I would imagine, I would hope, if we got a thousand journalists in a room and said, what is happening? What do you think of this? Maybe the human part of them would be a little uncomfortable, but the journalist part of them would, I think, would understand what's happening there. But to me, that part too, but I'm even separating it. That, that's, that was an element that like, I, I saw a couple people tweet. I'm like, come on, guys. The other element of just like, this is, this, is, this is the NFL, and this is what we talk about. You know, some of it is not all roses and rainbows. Like, it just gets kind of ugly because we're, to me, raw and real also, and I'm a big believer in this, has never sold more. We just have so much information. We know if you follow football, you follow this, like, you knew a lot of these guys, the top guys, like, red flags. Like, we don't live under a tent anymore. And it's like, I think people kind of like that, like knowing more information about their guy, who they're rooting for. I think that fucking works. Well, it's essential because you have people have to connect. Yeah, honestly, it most people don't watch guys. football because they just they can't wait for the all twenty two to come out. That's not why football gets fifty five million I, I, the, viewers. The amount of people the that draft. click, the, the, the amount of most people watched draft on ever. the all tw- the amount of people that click on the all twenty two every week that aren't, don't work in the NFL is probably would you guess under five thousand people? Uh, I don't know what the number is, but the, I would say the percentage is probably less than 1% of people who watch football, probably less than half a percent of people who watch but less than the percent of a percent of people who watch football. It's, it's tiny. Uh, yeah. Um, other things that oh, I mentioned, it most watched draft ever, 55 million over three days. First round averaged 15.6 million viewers, which was up 37% from last year. How about the fourth through seventh, the third day, averaging over 4 million viewers? Well, there's, just, there's nothing on TV. Saturday, you're quarantined. It kind of makes sense. I, yeah. You and I, we get bored with it. I think most people kind of do. But well, it, keep it I, know, I noticed it was just in my background. Yeah, I love it. Like, oh, what, what, we're at? oh, we're in the seventh? Because <laughs> the broadcast stops caring, kind of, right? They start doing other things. Yeah, so like you, commercial breaks. <laughs> yeah. But, and, like, th- there was a really cool moment. Did you see that uh, I was watching it live? Chris Mortensen celebrated his 30th draft, and Chris Mortensen's a big reason, like, got DJ involved in it, and DJ just, like, was almost in tears. It was a pretty powerful no. thing to watch. Yeah. Hey, yeah. You could find it on Twitter. It was it was good. You could tell DJ was pretty. That's awesome. Was trying not to choke up. What else? I got pl- We got plenty more stuff. To- uh, Jameis Winston's on the Saints. You know, I think one of the crazier picks of the first round was them passing on Jordan Love. And it started to seep in. Like, I wonder, they need a backup quarterback. Sean Payton went on record. We can't have, you know, Mr. Fullback, wide receiver, punt return uh, chaser guy. Taysom Hill also be our backup quarterback. Now, I didn't necessarily see them signing Jameis, but they have to sign someone. I, I give Jameis credit for doing this. This is a smart move. I also think it's not out of the realm possibility. They've been thinking about this for a while. Is there a chance that they like Jameis... They like the prospect and the the project of Jameis more than Jordan Love. He's only 26 years old. He's already played in the league. They've already they played in his division. Think how much cross tape over the last four or five years Sean Payton has just watched Jameis Winston. There, Dennis Allen has a you know opinion like their their coaching staff, their front office. They've experienced Jameis. They play in his division. They see him all the time. Just playing other opponents. You just watch your division closer. That I think he probably realizes and he should. There's the chance of J- Jordan Love ever being as good as Jameis Winston. Hell, was last year probably slim to none, right? Let alone if Jameis can just get it together a little bit, how good he could become. I I, I like that signing a lot, and I think Jameis. If you told me in two years Jameis Winston's starting quarterback once this guy goes to NBC, I, I believe you. 
it's uh, I I I mean, to your point, when you put the resumes side by side, how could you? Jameis Winston led the NFL in passing yards last year. Say what you want about that stat or his interceptions or whatever. He led the NFL in passing yards last year. Led him. And he's an eye test 5, guy, right? 5,000 he, yards. He's flinging it. And then on top of that, you go, I got Drew Brees here. I know the situation won't be weird because we know Drew's retiring after this year. Jameis, Jameis, like, you have all these physical stills that Brees doesn't have. So let's let you see what Brees does. If you're Jameis, I don't know if he wanted to do it or his agent told him this is the way to go. I, I don't rap sheet said he had another offer that was for more money. I mean, how do you not do this? So I give him credit. I, again, I don't know that he had many options, but this is like there's a do, short. There's, do you think? Do you think they told him that though? Part of it is not just resurrect your career. It's like you could be the answer here. I, I, yeah, maybe they told him. I mean, how? But it's it's like all you had to do is look at the contracts. <laughs> it's like just pick anything. Like, wait, the guy that you want me to learn from is retiring soon. God, I wonder if I could be next up. You're going to let me be the person sitting right next to him? I guess I'll be... It'd be well, like if Greg Popovich says, this is my last year, and then offers some head coaching... And then Mark D'Antoni's... Mark D'Antoni. Yeah. Mike D'Antoni. Mike D'Antoni's out of... I think he has a brother named Mark. Uh, is out of the league, and no one he will does, hire him. He does. And he's like, come be my number two for a year. Like, you'd be crazy if you wanted to be a head coach again. I So... Well, he, and here's what else, Jay, what I would tell Jameis if I was Mark his agent. Mark Ivoroni. Is that Jameis Taysom Hill will never be better than you at quarterback? Taysom Hill has never thrown a touchdown pass. Ever. So I'm not calling him the second highest paid backup in the league, John. Well, he's not the backup. Who's the backup quarterback for the Saints? It's Jameis Winston, right? If if Drew Brees breaks his hand week two, it's Jameis Winston's starting quarterback. Simple. Period. End of story. Are Are we gonna like we were talking about this before? I think we'll see some. People like I'll be watching the Saints rooting for them to be up twenty, so we can see some Jameis. I agree. I don't I want Saints, Breeze to get hurt. Saints are gonna be good. Have, has there has the money on Jameis come out yet? Uh, I haven't seen it. I mean, sixteen million guaranteed for Taysom Hill. Uh, I mean, I would say at the end of the first round, one of the crazier things to happen, just because we thought it wasn't going to happen, was Tua actually going number five to the Dolphins. Yeah, I give I give them credit for making it seem like they hated him. I guess it came out on Thursday night on the broadcast. I didn't see them say this. I guess we were live. We had it muted. Is that they did find a way to do it legally and get like a, their doctor to him or a doc, like they felt good on the medical. Like they had an independent doctor touch him. Okay. But to me, they did a great job of no one really felt by the time the draft came around that they were going to take them, and they didn't have to use their other picks. Yeah, They got to just use their other picks on players because if you told them, listen, you can guarantee you get two at two or three and trade up, or you can kind of manipulate the market and still get them at five without having to fuck with your other sweet assets, Right. that's what everyone would choose, and they did it. And maybe the Chargers knew it, and they were just – Going to take Herbert the whole time. Would I be fascinated to know with the Chargers? Was he the third quarterback or the second quarterback on their board? I think there's a decent chance he was the second quarterback on their board because they're they're looking for more of an athlete, and that's not Tua's was more of a cup pocket quarterback. Yeah. Uh, I I I think it'd be reasonable to have him second on their board. Yes. Jerry Jones called the draft from his yacht, and I guess it like 
openly admitted to it. Like, Jerry, we knew you were on the yacht the last three days. I, Did you I know at person, first that he was on the yacht when you just I, saw I, him with I, the I, white I couch? assumed it was at his house. Yeah. I had a rich person tell me this like 10 years ago. And he's like, if you stop, if you rich, start. One of your rich, uh, rich, rich person source? Yeah, kind of a casual friend or whatever. Not even that. Just, but he had brought up a great point. I'm like, do you feel uneasy about driving this car or whatever? He's like, if you start worrying about what other people think about, once you're rich, you're rich. Like, what, are you going to hide it? Like, it just is, is what it is. I like this car, I drive it. You know, and I think you get to the point, like, should Jerry have called the fucking draft on the yacht? But, like, stop worrying. Like, he are doesn't give a shit that? what other... No, but it's just kind of... It's just classic Jerry Joe. Yeah, but again, yeah. Jerry got to the point a long time ago where you stop worrying about what people judge you. I know you're, this. You're super wealthy. You, me, everybody listening and watching to this right now, if you had a $250 million yacht, there'd be no better time to be on it during a self-quarantine event. A pandemic? I can lock myself down on my yacht? Perfect. That thing might be docked for all we know. Well, probably, I think it is. He was just sitting on it. Which is an underrated part of the boat, right? Where you just, where you don't take it out, you just go hang out on it. Well, where does he, Dallas by the ocean? Where where is he putting that thing? (laughs) Is it on a lake? Is it the Gulf? Yeah, Gulf of Mexico. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's probably. Cap. Uh, uh, what's the uh, what's that city down there? Corpus Christi. Is that by the water? Yeah. Is um, that where is that where Texas Tech is? No, Texas Tech's in Lubbock on the oh, other. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's yeah, the yeah, other yeah, side yeah, of the state. Yeah, never mind. Not no. near the water. No, it's not. Uh, you ever scout Texas Tech? No, I I did though go to El Paso by Juarez. Did you see the thing on Twitter yesterday? This professional golfer got gunned down in Juarez. No, it was like a fringe professional golfer, American guy, or yeah, had, but he was with his quarantining with his girlfriend in Juarez. I'm like, listen, man, I I don't know if I'd quarantine in Juarez. Was like, like gunned down in the street. Turns out yeah. she's got a couple other kids. It's like who her husband. Like that's just you don't want to be down there. For people who haven't made that drive, you are driving when you drive from um, what's that airport? Uh, well, I drove from Las Cruces. New, you kind of come in from New Mexico, wherever yeah. the El, or maybe it, uh, does El. You does see, El you see, the, you see the wall. You drive along the fence. It's a surreal. You, you feel uneasy looking at it because also it's not even just that's Mexico. It looks like whatever third world is. It's seventh world. Like it's just. Poverty, I don't even think does it justice, right? Just what it looks like, the way they're like living in huts. At least the parts you see, this looks really bad. And then you read some of the stories. It's just cartel. The cartel runs it. Like they were just in full control. Yeah, I guess you and land reason, in El Paso and drive to Las Cruces. And That's the reason you want to kill them in Juarez and not like you never want to do any business. That, what I was told when I went to UTEP is that all the mobsters, the cartel people live in America. Because it's nicer, you don't have to worry about it. No one's going to kill you in America. It gets investigated. Well, in wars, you do all the your shady shit. Nothing gets investigated. Just it's a crazy place. I, I've had I um I remember a guy telling me that they used to like coaches. It, like once upon a time, it would you would go play in Las Cruces or El Paso, like a football. Like I had a college coach tell me this, and like there was a time when you would just Friday night before the game, you and your you and your other coach you would just drive to Juarez for the night. Yeah, my, my guy told me when I went to El Paso, the whoever their player personnel guy was, who had been there a long, long time, who was like a lifer administrator, was like, yeah, 10, 15 years ago, our coaches would go hang out. If you were, you know, the players could go kick it. Like, it was just a fun place to go. And now you it wouldn't even cross your mind to think about doing it. Shows you, world changes. Mm.
How about uh, Bill, o- Bill O'Brien's temper? I didn't realize you were telling me it was because he he was mad at the Lions. I he thought a, there yeah. was there was there were two clips. There was one where he's like waving his arm. I thought he was yelling at his tech guy. Something like his, like I was like that is the classic. The browser is not loading fast enough reaction. But it turns out he was actually mad at the truck. I think he was yelling at Bob Quinn, who they had a deal in place, and he yanked out. For which, and I saw so- someone on Twitter like, you know, did the lip reading, like we had a deal. What the fuck? I told you it was that. And yeah, I mean, I, I think the Lions what pick was, was that the third round. Yeah, I think it was like pick like one ten or the yeah, Lions I don't even took know. Julian Okoro, Okwara, outside linebacker, Notre Dame. Was it that pick? Probably. Did to me though why it was funny and went viral immediately. Most people wanted to assume he was yelling at his employees, right? His right. The, his GM, whoever that is in theory, his defensive coordinator, his IT guy. Scout. That's what I think. Ninety nine percent of everyone thought he's losing it on one of his guys. Like my first thought was, God, this guy's a miserable son of a bitch. Well, you don't. One thing we never really talk about is people yelling at people on other te- like. Coaches yelling at other coaches on the phone. GMs yelling at other GMs. People yell at each other on the field of battle. But I don't think we never... You don't read that many stories about like... And then the deal fell apart when the GM screamed at the other GM and slammed the phone down. You just don't I, I, read that story. I do, I do think it happens sometimes on draft night when deals change really quick. Yeah, I, heat I of just, the moment. It was just great. Maybe, it's maybe not, not something yelling. we really... Yeah, no. It, it was... I'm the, sure it does. The, the NFL got a lot of love. That because this to me, I, I read a good article by someone on ESPN just how humanizing it was to see so many of these guys with their kids to kind of let you in on their life that they just would never home, let you in just on. Less sterile environment. Yeah, and people can they add elements to this? Even the kids, just like with their family, not in a suit at their house, kind of raw and real. Do you think that if the pandemic's just over and next year's normal? I mean, fuck, I hope so. I mean, I can't go another year. Uh, that that there's elements of that, or are we just right back How to the draft How do you do it, room? though? I, well, I don't know, because I see, like, let it do this again next year. It's like, do you understand the amount of money that some of these teams have put in their draft room? Also, it's like, it's not as, it's just, I'm sure it worked out fine, but it's it's not best practices to have all your people spread out. You, you agree, if everything's normal, they're going back to normal. Yeah, but the question is, is it like, is everyone's kids just in the draft room? <laughs> Just do it in a bigger room, have everyone's family in there with them. You can't do that. I don't know, but there's got to be – there's something. There, there is a big works. element of seeing a 44-year-old guy with two daughters under six and just a guy that most of you know the media and the fans, like this guy never smiles, looking happy. Did that you helped. see the Matt Rule interview on ESPN? With his, with his daughter cheerleading in the back? Yeah, but he, he says the Wingo. He's like, I guess they had shown him earlier – he has three kids, and the two girls were like dancing around with like, but they have pom poms or anything. Yeah, know they what. they had Carolina Panthers cheerleader outfits, and he's like, apparently, like the kids were mad because when they showed Rule, they didn't really show them dancing, and so Wingo's like, I understand. We had some complaints from your house. His daughters were pissed, like, how he didn't show us, you know, the other kids are getting shown or something like that. And so then they showed the clip. They like replayed it from earlier, and Rule was laughing. It was just, and Wingo's like, and, oh, and Rule goes, you know, just I had a really, you had a really angry seven year old and a really angry four year old at the same <laughs> time. And Wingo's like, hey, I can identify. And I'm sure everybody yeah. watching it goes, I can identify. Again, people that don't know or give a shit about a three technique, 
can connect with that. I think it's just about connecting with as many people as possible. This weekend was a massive. Again, they didn't mean for this to happen. This was a big muscle flex for the league. Huge viewership, humanizing their coaches, humanizing their players. For example, basketball that always feels like talking about money and giving us fake LeBron stuff and LeBron's friend acting like he could fucking shut down Curry. This felt very kind of pure in a, in a time and age when we don't get many pure things. And just just like less need in the hallway of his like garage with like his 12-year-old. I mean, it just felt like, to me, that the only thing that everyone was making fun of because it didn't feel normal was Kingsbury. Everyone else, like, of course Belichick would be at some huge dining room table with his dog Nike. Of course Andy's fucking drinking a milkshake in his basement. But, John, not, of course Belichick would be in a house that looks like it hasn't been updated in 30 <laughs> years. I know. It just... And then, like, all the guys under 50 all had young coaches. The one guy that you knew was going to, like, make fun... Like, Vrabel, all of his kids were fucking around. It was just... It was very on point for every guy while making it seem like, God, it's... You know, like, hey, Matt, Patricia, just smile a little bit more. You got a couple kids. Your, your life's not that bad, you know? He smiled. I saw him smile. He did, but he just... I, I, I just think those guys are such frauds. Um, yeah, I, I would say muscle flex. It was something... It, they just... They added a... They added a, a, a pitch that they didn't have before. Could the NBA pull that off? Because they might have to try. Well, uh... Yeah, because wouldn't you imagine the NBA would do the same thing? Of course, yeah, they could pull that off. Now they're only one round, but they could pull that off. I think. <laughs> Even the owners look kind of normal, you know. The the couple shots. Well, you that's saw a them. trick. <laughs> that's hard. Yeah, that's hard. That's that's fooling you. Um, even like what did Twitter loved when Goodell just started laying back? Because I did I tweet this or I texted you, like. Early on Saturday, I'm like, Goodell is losing steam. Or maybe, was that Friday? Did he do Saturday? Well, he did Saturday. He, he did, did up until like early yeah. early Saturday. And then like, they just kind of like, then like, Trey starts, tw- you know. My guess is Goodell is kind of like yelling, like, let's go. Like, he's sitting there. He's got the card. He's like, let's go. And then you realize he's sitting. Well, of course he's sitting. He's standing for all this shit. So then he's like laying back. And it's it's got his feet up. And it just looks... Someone should have brought him the the uh, Michael Jordan stogie and a and a whiskey. But um, even people, it was like it was just they made Goodell, who like for years it was like he's not even a human. They made him; he's human. Yeah, it was. They just he had a good. He had he, he, by the time he was sitting down, every human could relate to that. And, and everyone, everyone it was so much fun. Just let people make fun of you. Like, and I think that sometimes is a thing where it's like you have to be able to. And this is where the NBA. It's like stop. Taking yourselves, let people make fun of you. Stop taking yourselves too seriously. I, um, that 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 works. It connects. No, it does. People people talk shit to each other all the time in a good natured way. Let them have fun with you. Have fun with yourself. But just make it real and easy. It's easy. The thing is, it's just the reason it happened is not a reason you would ever no choose. I don't know how you recreate that, but you you can't. You can't. Um. Yeah, Cliff. Not just Cliff's house, but Cliff wearing dress shoes in the house. Why? Why is he wearing dress shoes in the house? Like everyone like tried to make fun of McVeigh, like he had a similar house. Did you notice though a major difference? McVeigh was like wearing something. He just had shirt, a shorts and a t-shirt on. Like he wasn't. He, he didn't even think about like I got to get dressed up for this. I'm just gonna fucking do it from my living room counter. Cliff, 
listen, I, I've heard great things about him. People I know that went through Texas Tech like loved him. Said he's as normal as you can get for being a really good looking, tall, skinny guy. But God, that that look was just it dramatically different, dramatically different than every single GM, right? I mean, no GM was even even like coach it like Harbaugh, Doug Peterson, Andy, like it just no one was even close to that. They all just had kind of normal looking human offices. Like even for rich guys, just yeah, you just kind of get a little office in my in my pad. But whatever. you know what's funny is like yeah, why was he why didn't he go to the office? Did he want to show off his house? Go to what office? Like did he have an office at oh, his house? Yeah, I don't well, yeah, what well, the 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 thing you know it was a hundred it was a hundred plus degrees in Scottsdale so he had the fire going it was a hundred degrees I I googled it the other day so or weather just, just for the just for the effect it was hot there. the the camera shot was bad because it's not he's not connecting with that camera shot whereas most shots were at in the per like you're looking at the person's face his is like wide and it's far away he's slumped on the couch he's not. Doesn't seem like he's like like McVeigh was like on the phone doing stuff, talking to people. Cliff was just hanging. And the thing is, like, I think even that's a missed opportunity for the league. Cliff doesn't have kids, but Cliff is just a character in the NFL that guess what? People who don't care about the three technique know who he is. I have a friend, a woman who's a uh who I worked with a few years ago, but her, her husband's a coach and he played in college, and her and all her friends, you know what they call Cliff is fifty shades. That's like the nickname that they've had for him for a few years. Yeah. Like Cliff is an opportunity here and they just wasted it by not having a camera on him, by having him just sit there. I mean, everyone's just doing their own thing by him just sitting there like the monk strap dress shoe with ankle socks. I don't know. But again, I don't he, hold it against him. You asked me like, do you judge him for it? And I was like, yeah, kind of. But it just, to me, it just reveals kind of a, maybe is there an odd dynamic there with him and Kime? I don't know. I mean, they did draft his guy last year, so. But he is the coordinator, so why wouldn't you draft his quarterback? Yeah. Yeah, weird deal. Um, Easton in the fourth round. Uh, whatever. I, I think good fit for him. I they were talking about well, character. To, to me, John, he could have legitimately fallen just because he wasn't. He was really inconsistent. Yeah, but I I think when you're when your tape's not great. And his character, to me, there's different. Like when you say the word character, his character is football character. Like he's not getting in trouble. Yeah. People like him. It's he doesn't love the game enough to be an elite quarterback. Because that's like no one ever says, you know what? Tua doesn't work that hard. Or, you know, Ogeron was like, you know, fuck, we're trying to install Joe Brady's waiting on Joe Burrow. There was like the rumor. You know what a scout told me? Georgia crushed him. Now he was young there. But like he just came in, like didn't really focus that much. I don't think Washington was singing his praises of like this guy put all of his chips in the middle of the table to be an elite quarterback here. He liked you see his girl, like he's a good looking, tall guy. But I, I think there were rumors, and I saw an interview with him where he's like, "It's on now. Like you, you, you got to go. You around Philip Rivers. Like you have this opportunity. It's like you got to win the backup job." Well, he's to me, he couldn't beat out Jacoby if Jacoby's still there. Like, so he'll be a third string redshirt. And if you're them, you got to keep Jacoby around just in case something happens to Phillip. Yeah, to me, depending on how the preseason happens, you wonder if he looks really shitty. Could they cut him and put him on the practice squad? Or was that, was that Zach Wilson? Yeah. Was that the Arkansas I, quarterback? No, that was Tyler. Tyler. But they didn't even bring him back, did they? Just let him go. The difference, though, is Jacob Eason was a lot better prospect than Tyler. Like, someone might claim him. 
It'd be a little risky. I think you just keep three quarterbacks. Uh, my, my only thing I have here, I mean, there's a lot more we could do, but I'll CD Lamb to the Cowboys. I love like I so too. perfect. I love it. Too. Thank you, That's, NFL. That's well, like I wanted Lavisca Chanel in a place other than Jacksonville, <clears throat> but well, they they could have used other positions, but like you get a guy that good who's probably a top six or seven player maybe on their board. They're like fuck it, and Jerry's on the yacht and he's had a few pops and boom. You see the picture? He had like the Cowboys and Miller Lite. I saw the Cowboys tweeted. You know, like the Cowboys logo and Miller Lite's their main sponsor. Yeah. This is when the draft ended. Jerry was just holding the Miller Lite bottle. <laughs> that yacht so is. God, that yacht's sweet. All right. Uh, subscribe, review, uh, five stars on the uh, iTunes, whatever. We appreciate that. Yeah, YouTube, appreciate that. Go subscribe to that. Go watch some videos. Anything else you got? That's all I got. We'll I'll have some more takes later in the week. All right. On that note. Peace. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.